I'm glad you're here. In case uh, I may be new to you, I'm on staff here at, at Park. I work with the uh, Park Cares uh, Counseling Ministry. And so if you ever have a need for counseling, we have a team of folks that, that gather and uh, are available for people, uh, couples or individuals. Uh, we want you to know that, that we're here for you. And we are in a sermon series, as you know. We looked at the role of do who you are as uh, children of God. That's who we are. We also looked at our role as missionaries and then most recently as servants. And now our last part as children. So, my question to you this morning is, do you want to hear a story? Good. Because it's a great story. But the story also has some parts that aren't so pretty, to be frank with you. So, you still want to hear the story? Okay. It's a grand story. It's a story of an amazing magnitude. And, but at some points, you may struggle so much with pain and difficulty that you may not think it's worth going through the story. You still want to hear the story? And also, you're in the story. I forgot to add that. You still want to hear the story? Well, it is the story of our life as Christians, this part of where we're called brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The story starts this way, that God took on human flesh. The story begins with this amazing move of the eternal Son of God taking on flesh and blood and calling us brothers and sisters, that Jesus becomes our big brother. This is the first move of the story. And the church is born, and we are now related in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul's letters refers to us not just as church folk, or people who kind of know each other and pass each other on Sundays, but as brothers and sisters, forever related through eternity. That's how deep this is. We have found a new family. And so church takes off. We become the church. We find congregations like Park Church, and we experience this amazing connection that we belong to each other. We, we take communion together. We worship the Lord in song together, right? We uh, go to community group together. Some of us are in each other's weddings. We help raise each other's children. It's an amazing event of what God has done in Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of the story. The end of the story is just as amazing. The end of the story ends up in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. This place is where um, we, it says in 1 John chapter 3, we are becoming the children of God, but what we will become eventually is yet to be seen. This is what it says in 1 John 3 that Matt preached on recently. We shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. We will become perfected like our big brother, Jesus. That's where we're going. So, the beginning is joy of the story of being brothers and sisters. The end is joy, being brothers and sisters. But that's not where we live now, is it? No. Where we are now is that we're in the middle. And because of where we live now is why we need these reminders. I'm going to share now a quote from the author of Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson. He says this, We enter a world we didn't create. We enter a life already provided for us. We arrive in a complex of other wills already in full operation before we are introduced. 
if we are going to live well, we must be aware that we are living in the middle of a story that was begun and will be concluded by another. And this other is God. My brothers and sisters, when we forget this, we forget who we are, where we begin is in God, where we end is in God. Often we don't do too well in the middle. The middle is where we live now. This is church life. And the fact is, we lose touch with each other, right? The fact is, people, for good reasons, move away, and we forget about them. People even die, we don't even know that happened. People change churches, we wonder, whatever happened to such and such? You know, and, and we realize, oh, yeah, they, they left a year ago, and we don't even know it. But we may see them in the, in, in the supermarket. You're my brother, you're my sister, is still true. Or other times, let's face it, we just drift into boredom. We see each other every Sunday, and we say, oh, it's you again. <laughs> you know, big deal. We, we don't really find anything so thrilling. After a while, we get used to it, we take each other for granted. But the middle of the story gets even worse sometimes. Sometimes our relationship as brothers and sisters gets downright nasty. We have conflict, we say things that create sadness and pain and hurt. The fact is we don't do too well a lot of times in the middle of the story. It gets messy. And so this morning I hope to bring you a message that as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to do who we are, for God to meet us in the middle, especially when it gets really hard, when things go adrift, when there is conflict among us, to be able to be willing as much as it's up to us to do our part. The beginning is joy, the end is joy. If we want to celebrate being a family of Jesus Christ, let's be willing to do the hard work in the middle. Amen? And so we're going to look at the story of Joseph. It's in the book of Genesis. I'm going to kind of breeze through it in three movements. Uh, it's actually a long section. It's, it's Genesis 37 to 50. But we'll look at that together. And I'm hoping to look at three takeaways, and these are what they are. I'll give you uh, your cheat sheet. All right, here we go. Number one, that as brothers and sisters, we own our part in the middle. Number two, we let other brothers and sisters in Christ own their part. And finally, we trust God's good story to use all the parts for his good. So, let's look at the first one, shall we? Be the Christian brother or sister who owns their part. I imagine this is true of Joseph. I mean, think about it. The story of Joseph and his brothers is one that many of you know. There was 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob's 11th son was his favorite, okay? So let's start right off the bat. Don't make all the, the blame on Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. This guy Joseph was a spoiled brat. I mean, come on. He had a coat. He was, you know, waving in front of his brothers, bowed down before me. You know, no wonder they wanted to do something to the kid. So he was part of a legacy that was not positive. So I lost power here. Hold on. Here we go. And that is this. He inherited favoritism and arrogance. I like to believe that God had a work in Joseph's heart because his brothers did a nasty, terrible thing. They faked his funeral, they took his coat, smeared it in an animal's blood, 
and put him in a pit, right? They told their father Jacob that he was killed by a wild animal. In fact, from that pit, he was sold to um, slave, traders, slave traders and was brought to Egypt. Joseph had a lot of time to think about his side. Now, God did bless him, and God was able to bring a reconciliation between him and his brothers. But I like to believe that also Joseph had time to think. Here's what happened. In the story, he raises to a place under Potiphar's household in Egypt. He's now um, in a place of position and, 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 um, and privilege. But Potiphar's wife seduces Joseph. Joseph runs away from Potiphar's wife. She, she falsely accuses him, and now Joseph ends up in jail. First he's sold into slavery, now he's left in prison. Two people who work for Pharaoh, he interprets her dreams. The one who's the cupbearer, who says, you know what? When I get out of prison, I'll remember you. In fact, here's what happened instead as we look at Genesis chapter 40. So Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his cupbearing, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Mm. Here was this guy, right, favored by his father, a man with great status. But now what happens, he's no longer favored, and he's forgotten by the cupbearer. But scripture says this promise, but God was with Joseph. Amen? God was with Joseph. God did not forget him. And God allowed Joseph to realize in that time of being forgotten, it took two years, two years before he got out of jail. And I think in that time, God is preparing Joseph for reconciliation. So, here's the story, it moves on. The story goes on for Joseph now to look at his side. Why is this important? Because anyone know a bit of his story? He was not the first favorite kid. Abraham played a favorite, right? Besides that, there was lying in that family. Then Jacob was a favorite of his mother, Rebecca. And then in the third generation, Joseph was a favorite. Joseph was aware of this web he was part of was favoritism. And for him to break free of that, he had to see what was my part in the conflict between me and my brothers. Friends, as we come into the family of Jesus Christ, are we willing to do the hard work of what's called a genogram, to look at our story? Where did our brothers and sisters and where did our parents influence us that maybe isn't like the family of Jesus Christ? How do we do with telling the truth? Or were we lying? How do we do with gossip? How do we do with holding grudges? Did we learn to be forgivers from our family of origin? Or were we pleasers? Were we avoiders? When we don't unpack that stuff, likely we'll take it into the family of Jesus Christ. And no wonder we have trouble in the middle. Amen? So, what part of you as brothers and sisters in your family of origin needs to be left behind? Joseph prepared himself to know in his part. Now, secondly, let your brother or your sister own their part. 
when things get tough in the middle. We can't do it for them, but we can lead them. This is exactly what Joseph did. Some of you know the story, right? There's a famine in the land of Canaan. Jacob, the father, says, go to Egypt. There's grain there. By this time now, it's 13 years later. Joseph is now second in command in Pharaoh's household. They don't recognize Joseph. He speaks Egyptian. And now they come looking for grain. Joseph plays a game to prepare for the encounter. Remember, he places silver in their bags, looking like they were going to steal from him. And he makes them tell the truth of who they are. This is how it looks in Genesis chapter 40. For he accuses them of being spies. They said to Joseph, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servant has never been spies. But Joseph said to them, no, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers. Listen to this. The sons of a certain man in the land of Canaan. The youngest, however, is now with our father. And one is no more. That's as close as I get. Well, what happened to the other? One is no more. He's letting them own their part. Their betrayal of their brother, of what they did. Now, the fact is, friends, in the body of Jesus Christ, we can help another brother and sister that we're in conflict to own their part, but we can't make them do it. The fact is, sometimes it doesn't work. On this side of heaven, we can only do so much. Thank God, in Joseph's case, it worked. And so what does he do? He plays a game. The novelist Thomas Mann calls it a holy game. He leads him to a place where now the, thought, the, the, the plot thickens. He says, all right, I'm going to take your one brother and I'm going to hold him captive. He takes one brother and says, if you're really who you are, guess what you got to do? Go get your baby brother Benjamin, bring him back. In the meantime, I'm going to hold on to one of you. So here's what happens. They said to one another, alas, we are paying the penalty for what we did to our brother Joseph. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this anguish has come upon us. Then Reuben, one of the brothers, answered them, did I not tell you not to wrong the boy? But you would not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them since he spoke with them through an interpreter. He turned away from them and wept. Then he turned and spoke to them, and he picked out Simeon and had him bound before their eyes. Wow. He had them bound before their eyes. <laughs> Poor daddy Jacob. Now he comes back and he says, where's Simeon? Oh, we had to take him. He said, until you bring Benjamin, this guy knows everything about us. He says, we got to bring Benjamin back again. Father Jacob allows it to happen, and the plot thickens even more as they own their part. And the Bible goes on to tell the story where at this point, Benjamin comes back, and Joseph, hidden as an Egyptian, serves them food, and he puts them in their birth order from the oldest down 
second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. And I imagine if he left a spot free for Joseph, the 11th son. And the brothers are wondering, and they're marveling, how does he know all this about our family? Even to leave an empty spot for the, for the, the brother that we betrayed. He's helping them own their part. And thank God it worked. You know, it's an amazing story. He has to weep because he knows to forgive them of what they've done is a major work. And he finally breaks down and he weeps and he says, I am Joseph. He lets go of his disguise and says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. But I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to make it right. Friends, this is what the body of Christ is all about, to become that connected, that work in the middle, because that's where we're going to end up. Can we do it perfectly? No. Does it always work out? No. But we do our part. And that's the third point of where the story of Joseph meets us. This is it. Trust God's good story will use every part. Amen? Every part. The betrayals, the breakage, the separation. In the end, we will become reconciled in Jesus Christ. That's where we're going. So at the very end of the story, I want you to see if you can memorize Genesis 50-20. It's one of the most popular verses. You can easily memorize it because it sums up so much of the story. So at the end of the story, when Joseph's brothers also wept, it says they fell down before him and he said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to, harm, to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he's doing today. They meant to hurt him. They betrayed him. They did wrong. It was evil. It was from the pit of hell. But even though they try to do that, Joseph says, listen, listen, hold on, hold on. Whatever you did in darkness, trying to hurt me, it can't frustrate what God wants to do. God will take, listen, God will take our worst separation, the most tension between the body of Christ, and eventually bring that to a place of reconciliation. God's plan will not be frustrated. Amen? So hold on to this thought. God, in your life, in my life, in your journey with each other, God never wastes a journey. God never wastes a journey. He will use it all no matter what we go through. That one day we'll look back and say it was all worth it. So how can we now better grasp how to live well in the middle? How do we do this? Well, I'd like to take a clue from a writer. His name is Soren Kierkegaard. You may know him. He works at the Rook Coffee Shop in Red Bank. He's got the long red ponytail. I'm just kidding. He's, he's, he's actually from the 19th century. Amazing thinker. He was a Christian who thought about something very important in life. How we can enter through the narrow gate. A lot of Christians don't do it. And this is what Kierkegaard said. He said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Amen? Again, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. In other words, if we start with the end in mind, where we're going, 
that in this family of Jesus Christ, we will become reconciled. All of our sins will pass. The angels will marvel of how the flesh and blood of the Son of God was shared with us and that we become this family that all the things that we went through that separate us, that separate us at Park Church, whatever it may be, has passed. Amen. Can you start with the end in mind? Imagine how your life would be if you understood it backwards and then the courage to live it forward. You see, Kierkegaard made this point. He says, one of the most important qualities of a Christian is not just that we live with compassion or love or forgiveness, but what Christians often need is courage. Yeah, courage. Chutzpah, to say, I'm going to do the hard thing. If I'm going to understand my life backwards, then I must have the courage to live it forwards. If every day counts, and that one day you will be my brothers and sisters, and nothing will separate us when we're in the new heaven and new earth, guess what? We're going to have to get along anyway. <laughs> we might as well do our best to do it today. And to be frank, some of us lack courage. I do, to do the hard thing. Sometimes I just want to take the easy way out. I want to just say, I got lots of time. I'll reconcile my brother and sister some other day. We don't know how much time we have. Do you ever get a glimpse sometimes of how short the time is? I know I do sometimes when I'm not paying attention at, at a green light, you know, and all of a sudden I realize, you know, someone else is crossing over. I said, I, I could have just got killed. You ever have that moment? Or, you know, you're going to have a heart attack any minute. You're having this pain in your chest and you're, you know, Ted, I think I'm going to have a heart attack. This is the last words I ever speak to you. Yeah? I'll leave you some money. Don't worry. But we don't know. The comedian George Carlin put it this way. He wanted to have on his gravestone. I don't know. He was here a minute ago. <laughs> How long do we have? We don't know. That's why we need to look at our life backward. So... Oh, we could do all our repair relationships in a day? No. But what are you going to do with this day? Or let me rephrase it. If you knew you had a year left to live, what would you do with today? If you knew you had a year to live, what would you do with today? This was exactly the dilemma that the songwriter Michael, I mean David and Bailey faced. David's um, experience was this. He, he was about 30 years old. He was in corporate America developing software and um, he had these intense headaches. He found out he had this terminal brain tumor and was given a year to live. He quit his job. His wife handed his guitar, which he had learned classically as a teenager, and he began to write music. God gave David Bailey 14 more years. He died in 2010, and he put out 15 albums. One of his songs is about this, Make a Difference. It's called Another Try. That on the wings of every morning, as the sun begins to rise, I meet the new tomorrow, and it's always a surprise. I can see the smile of God as my spirit starts to fly, and the message comes so soft. It's worth another try. On the shoulders of a new day, I begin to ride. I couldn't have a better view. I couldn't get a better ride. I could feel the hand of God on every step I take. I know that there's a journey that I must make. On the wings of every morning, it's worth another try. 
On the shoulders of a new day, it's worth another try. On the bosom of the evening, it's worth another try. It's worth another try. What we have today. In a sense, to live and understand our life backwards, to have with the end in view, is kind of like planning your own funeral, right? It's knowing that the race is finished and imagining the scene where everything you need to say to others has been said. Everything you needed to do has been done. Imagine that place where you have very little regrets left over. This is what happened in a movie put out about 15 years ago called Waking Ned Divine. We're going to show you a clip now. This movie uh, takes place in a small Irish village, about 53 people, and this one guy, Ned Divine, wins the lottery. Uh, Ned dies, so they, end up, they, they decide to have this scheme. They split up the money 53 ways. The problem is, though, they have to fake the funeral, and instead, this best friend of Michael Sullivan pretends that Michael died. So in this faking of the funeral, the best friend of Michael Sullivan gives his eulogy, pretending he's dead. In fact, Michael is sitting in the front pew. <laughs> and when Michael's best friend comes face to face, he has this profound realization. Let's watch now. <laughs> Classic Irish sarcasm. That's my culture. But the moment came when he actually said what he felt. So, you are God's family. Advance the next one, sorry. I lost my spot. You know, giving a eulogy it's one of the most profound things we could do. It literally means good word. Over at Park Church office, you may know we have a makeshift library. It's a bunch of books that people donate, people pick up. It's kind of messy. And you know, if you go back there, you'll know what I mean. But one day I found a book that was there. It was from a gift one guy to another. When I found the book, it was, the book is about male friendships and bonding, about being a band of brothers. Pretty awesome. It had an inscription in the front cover. Here's how it reads. I'll leave out the name. Dear blank, my brother, my friend, God truly does know exactly what we need. You are a huge blessing in my life. Thank you for your friendship. The encouragement that you give me means so much. I'm so thankful for the desire you have to take up your cross, to seek him with all your heart. Remember to constantly be looking to him first. Be a man of God in all you do and say always, I'm so thankful to be on this journey with you and thank you for sharing your heart with me. I love you, brother. Now, the last I checked, I don't believe these two brothers are friends anymore. In fact, I don't believe they've spoken in quite a while. And whether or not they speak again in this life, the fact that where we're going 
they are sharing a journey and they will speak again. The question is, will the angels be marveling just then to say, look how God brought these two sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters back, depend of all the rift that happens, still does it. Do we have to wait till then? The end of the story says this, whether or not we do it now, we will reconcile one day, amen? So let's amaze the angels today and speak those words and reach across the rift. Understand your life backwards, but live it forwards. And so Joseph leaves us with these three takeaways. Be the brother and sister who owns their part. That's the least we can do. Next, let your brother and sister own their part. Only as God allows them, but you can do only so far. But let them know if there's a rift that you also need them to own their part. And finally, oh yes, remember, to trust that God's good story will use every part. Nothing will be wasted. It's true at Park Church. It's true in the church everywhere. So, some suggestions, what we can do. Number one, give a eulogy. Give a sister or brother in Christ or a friend a eulogy. Speak a good word. Bill preached last week, we can't reach out to everybody. People come and go out of our life. We can't stay in touch with everyone. But maybe God can lead you to a person who needs a good word. Write him a card. It even goes further. Make a lunch date with her and meet together. Give a eulogy. Next, make an appointment with someone you're not reconciled with. Be ready to own your part. Pray for the courage to do that. Know that our story is going to end a certain way. We might as well live it in the middle. Amen? That you could say with Joseph, you know, what you did, yes, was intended for evil. But God is able to weave through it a story for good. And finally, join a community group, if you haven't already, where we can experience community on a deep level here at Park Church. Because friends, at the end of the day, this is a story. I'm glad you sat through it. Thank you. But you know what? It's not just about Jacob's story and his 12 sons. It's really a story that God has. It's God's story. It's not just a story about Joseph and reconciling with his other brothers. This is God's story. It's not just a story of Israel and how Israel was preserved and kept from famine. It's God's story. This is what we're part of, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And Park Church, this is where we are. This story is about us. But ultimately, it's not. It's about God. God has a story. He calls us to have joy in the beginning, joy at the end, do the hard work in the middle. Are you ready to change the middle of the story? I'll invite the band to come up as we pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, give us the courage to live well in the middle. Give us the courage to look at our part, to invite others to own theirs, but to trust you that you use everything. Father, we, we admit that we struggle with 
bad attitudes here in the middle of our story, that we get muddled and lost, we get hardened, and we hold grudges. We pray, Father, that you would do a new work in our hearts. Father, help us not be surprised when we see our sisters and brothers in that new heaven and new earth and have so many regrets. Lord, let us amaze the angels even today. In Jesus' name, amen.